pray it may be a blessing to us as we receive its ministry this morning. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't always like to admit it, but as people we are in need of supervision, direction by other people. We need teachers. We need governors. We need presidents. We need elders. We need parents. We don't just throw a bunch of kindergartners into a kindergarten room and say to those kindergartners, well, you go figure it out now. Where's the teacher? They need a teacher. They need a teacher for direction. The problem that people face in the world is that they don't always get the kind of leadership that they need. And I, I'm a firm believer, and maybe you are too, I hope so, that sometimes you could just see it from even in our own country, from state to state, depending on who is in charge, depending on who the leadership is all about, and the kind of leadership that's given, you can see what kind of an effect that those leaders can have on their constituents, on their citizens. It's not always wise leadership or good leadership. And throughout the world and throughout history, there have been tyrants and abusers of authority. And there have been those who are incompetent and have no leadership skills at all and neglect their duties. But thankfully, when, when Jesus Christ came into the world, we could see by what he did, ultimately, of course, on the cross, but, but even beforehand, in passages like this one, we can see why there was joy for the world that the Lord had come. The Lord God in the flesh. God had come in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Good Shepherd, which David would speak about in Psalm 23, had come to show that he would not leave his sheep unattended, without direction, without provision, and most of all, without salvation. And this is one of those passages in John that especially speaks to that truth that the good shepherd had come. The Lord, the good shepherd of his sheep, had come to abundantly provide for his people. And in doing that, to fulfill the scriptures, that even the people responded as such, this is the prophet that had been promised of long ago. And yet, even if people misread who he was, as they made certain things correct and made other things incorrect, this feeding of the 5,000 still shows that Jesus Christ is that supreme shepherd king that people need to trust for all that they need in life. And so we're going to take a, mo a moment this morning to focus on this good shepherd that has come who amply supplies, as the passage lays out for us, who fulfills the scripture, but is still oftentimes easily misread. So first of all, that he amply supplies. Some people have already noted to correct people, this is not a passage. I mean, it's hard to imagine, maybe, I don't know, but you do hear of it, 
Uh, this isn't a passage where the lesson is about how to share your lunch with other people. It's not about a, a Sunday school lesson for the boys and girls to say, if your friend at school doesn't have a lunch, then share your apple with him. Now, this is an event that points to who Jesus truly is and what he does. He's the Lord God who has come to be with us. The good shepherd who amply supplies. Now you might wonder how that possibly shows up here in this passage. Some of the ways that it shows up is in places that maybe we would easily overlook. It could be. Things that we are tempted to emphasize the least. Take for instance that Jesus calls his disciples to tell the great multitude to sit down where there's plenty of grass. Now that's not just so that they'd be comfortable. And that's not just to tell us, well, it must have been the rainy season because there was plenty of grass in what would otherwise be a somewhat arid area. It's not for those reasons at all, really. It's, it's written deliberately this way so that John could tell us that these people were like sheep. They were called to sit down in green pastures. And that's, of course, what we read in Psalm 23, don't we? When we hear that the Lord is our shepherd, and I shall not want, or I shall not be in want. And, and part of the way I see that is that he makes me lie down in green pastures, literally pastures of grass. The abundance of grass anticipates what Jesus is about to do here as the good shepherd of the Lord God, as the Lord God himself. He's, he's providing for those who have been given to him to tend. The Lord is going to amply supply as the good shepherd. You know, we also see that Psalm 23 that shepherding, when we see that when these sheep are given in abundance. There's an abundance which reminds us when the good shepherd provides, people's cups run over. They run over. Remember that in Psalm 23, right? That your cup runs over as he prepares a table in the presence of his enemies. One can see that amply supplied portion of what the shepherd does by when Jesus calls the disciples to gather the pieces that are left over and he tells them, I don't want any of it to be lost. Another translation says that I don't want any of it to perish. Now this isn't just to try to tell people not to waste food. No, this is the nature, you see, of the good shepherd. That's how he acts. Those who will believe on him will not be lost. They will not perish. But they will have everlasting life. Jesus will say later in John 10, when the thief comes, what does he come to do? All he wants to do is to steal, to kill, and literally to waste or to perish, to cause to perish. 
But that isn't what the, the good shepherd has come to do. That's not what he does. When the good shepherd comes, as he has in the flesh, he comes so that his sheep may have life and have it to the full. When Jesus amply supplies, as he does here, he shows himself to be the divine savior and shepherd king of his people. And he does what God has done for his people in the past as the shepherd of his sheep. Only now he does that, we'll see that more in a moment, in this fully blossomed way. This is, you know, we talked about Psalm 23. We can also look over to Psalm 78 and, and we hear in the past about how the Lord was a shepherd to his people and, and interestingly too about uh, how he was dealing with them as they were testing him. Psalm 78, if you wanted to read along with that, if your Bibles are open, uh, you could take a look at this in verse 17 of Psalm 78. Uh, verse 17. It says there, Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. And they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. And they spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Does that sound familiar like Psalm 23? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread? Or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. The fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they didn't believe in God and didn't trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of angels. And he sent them food in abundance. And then later on in verse 52 and 53, not surprisingly, really, not to be surprising, it says there that then he led out his people like sheep and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock and he led them safe in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. See, back then, Israel put God to the test. Didn't they? By demanding food from him, refusing to trust his shepherding care, forgetting about his, in, in essence, his past. Or what have you done for me lately? But in our passage, it's God who tests his people, isn't it? He tests Philip to see if they would trust him to, to be able to do what nobody else can do as the divine shepherd of his people. Because he asks this, you know, where are we going to buy bread to eat for these people? And he said, no, no, no. But it says he said this to test Because he knew what he was about to do. You notice where he does it as well. The feeding of the 5,000 is mentioned in all four Gospels. But John's the only one of the four Gospel writers that mentions that Jesus crossed the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberius Caesar. Emperor of Rome. He was king of the world. 
He was king of the Jews, and this sea was his too now. Along with the city that was named after him on this side of the lake. And so you get this impression of this king who's king of everything. Or is he? Was he the king of the sea and the king of the world and the king of the people of Israel? If he was in any legal sense. It wasn't going to be forever. Nobody calls the Sea of Galilee today the Sea of Tiberias. Nobody. Unless they're a historian. Because Tiberius wasn't the lasting king that was needed. Or the kind of shepherd that could lead and provide for God's people like only God could. You needed the Lord for that. You need the Lord for that. I need the Lord for that. And he was always the one that needed to be that shepherd. And now he's come in the flesh. Now he comes in the context of Tiberius. Now he comes and prepares a table before me in the presence of his enemies and mine. And my cup overflows. That's the shepherd we need. Other shepherds might be good. They may be good. They might be good. They, they might not be good. But this is the shepherd we need. And this is the shepherd we can have. That this is talking about the Lord as a good shepherd has been confirmed by what Mark would say about this event in Mark 6.34, because at that same time it's told that when the Lord looked out upon this multitude that had come, that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, Mark 6.34. That need for a shepherd was what Jesus Christ would provide on a divine scale as the Word made flesh dwelling among us. No wonder we celebrate his coming. We do. The sign that Jesus provided then answered the question, who can amply supply for God's people? It wasn't going to be Philip. Who can be our sufficiency in life and in death? Where can we find satisfaction spiritually and physically? Like nobody else. Where can we find rest for our souls? Who's the only Savior? Who cares for me like nobody else? It's always been the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He even lays down his life for me, only to take it up again. And he gives me eternal life so that I will never perish. And that's what we're to celebrate and confess in the Lord's coming. The good shepherd has come. And he's come to amply supply for me, as only he can, removing my sin, giving me life to the full, so that every day I get up in the morning I have reason to live. And live well. As I live for my Savior. He alone can be my satisfaction that way. 
So he amply supplies, but he also fulfills the scripture. We saw that already in places like Psalm 23 and 78. But we can also see that he is better than Moses and the prophets. Uh, he is better than the law and the prophets. In fact, he, he is the one to whom this all points. And even to that end, we see that the people who saw the sign concluded this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. And this fulfillment also shows that the good shepherd has come. In our previous passage, if you remember this from last week, Jesus told those who would hear him that the scripture spoke of him. He said, he said you, you know, you, you read the scriptures because you, you know that in them you have eternal life, but they speak about me. They testified to who I was. They anticipated my coming. They cried out for my coming. And so those who saw the sign when they made this point were right. This was the prophet like unto Moses that Moses predicted would come. And as that prophet, his word was to be obeyed as a word that came from God. That was the prophet promise. John, or Jesus would say later in John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words, you see he's being prophetic here, and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the prophet, the father who sent me, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the father has told me, he is the prophet who was to come. The sign was pointing to who Jesus was that way, what he would do, how people should respond to him in faith. He was better than Moses. When Moses came, he comes with the law. John says at the beginning of this gospel, grace and truth, in other words, God's covenant kindness and faithfulness are revealed in Jesus Christ. Moses couldn't bring that. Right? He could not save, but Jesus Christ could. He who is at the Father's side has revealed the Father. Here is Jesus crossing the sea like Moses, climbing a mountain like Moses, having a great host of people following him after his sea crossing like Moses, returning to a mountain alone when people trying to make him king like Moses, only he's better than Moses. Because Moses was not the son of God. He only spoke of the Son of God who would come. Moses was not the Word made flesh. 
Jesus Christ was. Manna came down from heaven during Moses' time, but the food that Jesus would be able to provide for those who would believe in him would be even better. It would allow people to live forever. He was that prophet that would deliver his people in an even better way as the shepherd of God's people than what Moses could do because this was the shepherd himself of which Moses was just a pale copy. This was the Lord of Psalm 23. And he was also the one who would be better than the other prophets. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet. He would fulfill their work. Elisha has a boy or a servant provide food for a hundred men with a pittance of barley in 2 Kings 4, 42-44. Jesus would provide food for 5,000 men with a pittance of barley and fish from a boy or a servant. And so you see what's going on here again. He who, he who fulfills the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elisha, has come. He was the subject of the Old Testament. And he's come. And God has kept his promise, you see. That's important for us. He who was the subject of the Old Testament has come. He has sent has God, his prophet, into the world. He has sent the word. He has done what he promised. And Jesus should be heard, therefore. Especially when he's able to do what he plans to do. Which is what he does here. He knew what he was going to do, and he did it. Especially when what he says comes to pass. Especially since this sign is pointing straight at him as the good shepherd of the sheep. He's not going to let his people down. He will provide for them body and soul and he will enable them to do what nobody else can do. He's going to allow them to live life to the full to life eternally. Nobody else can do that. And it is he that we should be seeing in the Old Testament then. It is he who was promised. It is he who has come. It is he and he alone that is the good shepherd for those whose trust is in his word. He is indeed the prophet promised to come into the world. But of course people misread that, don't they? The Passover is near, we read it. And when the Passover was near back in those days, then the Jewish people would get into a nationalistic fervor and frenzy. Because what does Passover remind them of? It, it reminds them of how God took them out of the bondage of Pharaoh and liberated them so that they could be a free country in Canaan. So, if there's a prophet who has come with greater power or power like Moses who brought them out of Egypt, then it would make sense for people in a nationalistic mood to want to force this man to become king over them. Not Tiberius. This one. 
because this man with his power would be able to overthrow the political oppressors. Here's our shepherd king. Yeah, here's their king, but not the king of their perceptions. They, of course, like always, want a king like the other nations, which is always a temptation for us, right, to just be like everybody else. But they're not going to get a king like all the other nations. They'll be getting a different king. Whose people would be kind of a part of a different kind of nation. That's the king that they need to accept. That's the kind of king that they would need to trust. This king would become king not in accordance with their terms. And their expectations and and their timing, but in accordance with God's terms and God's perceptions and God's timing. No less, no more. No sooner and not later. Because this king, after all, this lion of Judah was the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And it would be at another Passover that this lamb would show himself as the shepherd king, not by obeying people who wanted to force him to be a political king, but by obeying God, his Father, so that we might belong to a better kingdom than that. It's under God's terms and also that we are to accept his king, who would not be like a king like Tiberius, but he'd be like a king like no other, a truly good king, a lasting king, a good shepherd of his people. He'd never leave them or forsake them. And he would never let anyone snatch them from his hand. No matter what they were going through. And it's that kind of shepherd whose word we're to hear and trust and believe that we can depend on him through thick and thin. The power that this king has to shepherd his people Always, always, was what the disciples had to acknowledge as well. How should we feed these people, tests Jesus? What they should have said, we can't. But you can't. You showed that by healing the sick. You showed that you could because you're the divine son of God. Okay, once more, he says, I'll show you who I am. And what I can and will do for those who need the shepherding of the Lord. And you know how that is. There are times when you're tested. You might be feeling the test pretty heavily right now by your Savior. Who really is your Savior? Who really is going to be there for you? Who really is going to empower you for whatever it is that lies ahead for you? Where do you really find your hope? Who's really going to be your light into that dark tunnel of the future? I can't be those things and, and neither can you. But he can. He's the good shepherd of the sheep. And if our faith is in him as our shepherd, he'll provide for us as well, both now and into eternity. So let's not misread what our Savior can do.
celebrate Jesus coming to earth because it means that the Good Shepherd has come. He amply supplies. He fulfills Scripture. And even though people misread him, signs point clearly to him as the divine Son of God who as the Good Shepherd provides for his people like no other shepherd king can. We all need shepherd. And we can do no better than with the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. What a blessing for us. What peace of heart when we can confess that this Good Shepherd who came is our shepherd as well. Because he is. We too physically and spiritually for time and eternity will not be in want. Not when we can say that the Lord is our shepherd. We won't be in want. Amen. Let's pray, shall we?